0: good morning if ever there was a divine appointment described in the bible this is it right here in acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 40. a divine appointment is a meeting that god has scheduled with you in mind we're not aware that he's put it on our calendar that's the tricky part that's the case for Philip. He doesn't know that God has put an appointment on his calendar. And that's the case for the Ethiopian eunuch as well. Neither man knew that God had something special planned for them. So let's read about it in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 and following. Read with me as... Uh, I read from the New American Standard Bible. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And they traveled along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I believe this very passage is a divine appointment for us today. To explain that, I've got to go back about a year to actually February of 2011. In 2011, Pastor Tim Allen, who's our executive pastor here at the church, uh, Tim, if I may just use his first name, Tim is just an incredible man and very talented and gifted. He's a great administrator and has uh, special gifts. But but Tim began our small group ministry uh, just about a year after I came back in 2000 and has shepherded it all these years. But back in February, I asked if I could have uh, some time with Tim. And during a meeting with Tim about small groups, I said to Tim, Tim, I fear that you have lost the fire in your belly for our groups. I asked him if I could tell you that. In fact, he remembered exactly how I worded it in a way that I had forgotten. I fear that you have lost the fire in your belly for our groups. And let me explain. When we had some staff changes, Tim was eager to accept, assume, and tackle some extra. Uh, staffing and administrative responsibilities. So I was well aware that this was a Herculean task. But I wanted us to be committed to our small groups. And I was, so to speak, lighting a match uh, to the fire that I wanted to create in both our hearts. And I had to step up to the plate too. And I told him that I was going to resume leading a group with his permission, and I would be uh, starting a group in April and I would uh, enlist any deacons or elders first and foremost who weren't currently in a group and that was part of my pledge to make 2012, the year right now, make 2012 the year of our groups here at Grace Community Church. I think that left him feeling a little dizzy, and uh, but he, you know he wasn't opposed to anything I was saying. He says, you know, I, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to digest this. I'm I'm all for it. Um, so there, that's that. Now, in February, uh, the same month, on the 17th, there was a special seminar at Fresno Pacific University. It was called the Central Valley Ministry Forum. They have it every year. And every year, uh, for several years, I've gone. Usually they have a a keynote speaker, an author that's well-known, someone that is a luminary in, in, uh, in ministry of some kind and speaks from Uh, his or her experience and it's usually very invigorating and helpful but I couldn't go last year and I asked Tim, who had never been if he would go and I like to try and take a few steps so it's a it's you know from morning to afternoon it's a great equality time very invigorating sometimes vision casting I said Tim I'd like it if you go now a little of the backstory here Tim had mysteriously hurt his heel. He was like a wounded dog limping around with this heel, and he'd been trying to get a doctor's appointment to get in and figure out why his heel was hurting so much. Secondly, he was supposed to leave Thursday at the end of the day for a vacation since there was a three-day weekend coming up and since he has this little motor home uh... after work while there was some daylight he would want to get it all ready because they were going to jump in that and drive up to three rivers for the weekend uh, that's their little getaway and it's a time of rest and relaxation so my asking him to go to the seminar in my place meant that he would not be able in daylight to get his motor home ready and take off on his vacation on time. Plus, he was not eager about spending the last day of work at this conference when his heel was bothering him so much. And then third, he didn't know who the speaker was. So it was kind of a no-name, there was no mega attraction you know wow i've got to hear this guy speak or any of that i could tell he didn't want to go he tried to keep it from me but i could see it and i'm not that perceptive and i said tim i can tell you don't want to go but i insist which I don't think I have ever done before. It was really out of character. I, I just felt strongly about it. I said, I just, I ins- you go. Go, make it happen. So he went. I didn't see him at all that day. Now, I know the rest of the story because he came back the following Tuesday and told me, but I'm going to let you know what happened as it happened. He went to the conference with uh, the student ministry guys, Pastor Eric, who was up here earlier, Stephen, Corey. Anyway, at that at that seminar, his heel was really bothering him. He was pretty miserable, and uh, he could hardly pay attention. I don't know if the speaker was not scintillating or if his foot was hurting so bad, but he was getting nothing out of it. At the break, everybody goes to get snacks and stuff, get up and move around, and uh, Tim decided to hobble. He didn't really want to hobnob, so he hobbled over to the book table. There was a book there that caught his eye. He'd never read it, didn't know much about the guy, but he picked up this one book, decided he would take it with him on his vacation and possibly get around to reading it. The conference ended. He took off for three rivers. When he got up there, Friday morning, he was kind of in a funk. I think it was bugging him that I had told him, Tim, I fear that you have lost the fire in your belly for our groups because that's been his baby. You know, that's been his number one thing. That's what he's supposed to do. So he wanders out, I guess, I've never been to his chalet But he decides to sit down overlooking the river and read and he goes to get a book and he forgot all of his books. The only book he'd brought was the book that he bought at the seminar. So he begins to read it and he reads it in one day. He comes back Tuesday and he is just so energized. He said, John, guess what that book was about? It was Sticky Church. He held it up and he said, it's all about small groups. (laughs) And he had a hundred ideas and he said, I'm really excited about what we're going to try to do. He says, "I'd I'd like the staff to read this. So we read it in March. The staff all read the book the very next month. I started in our group in April. We also had the elders of our church read Sticky Church. And then in June, we made a proposal that we would move the whole church, all of our R groups or our small groups, uh, we call them R groups, we would move them all to sermon-based curriculum. In other words, what we're looking at today is going to be discussed this week in all the R groups. And uh, that's kind of the way it works. And it gives us a chance to all be on the same page. That was what Sticky Church was all about. The elders loved the idea. They had read the book, digested it. So we decided in September we'd start all of the groups reading Sticky Church because we weren't ready to launch this. We wanted to wait until January. So in November, uh, pardon me, in September, all the groups started reading Sticky Church uh, as they went and met for, for their small group meetings until January. But in November, I said, Tim, um, I got a number of ideas, but I, I just, I'd just i like your input. I also asked the staff, what, what do you think I ought to do the first series um, of messages out of in the Bible? And Tim said, I really think you ought to do the book of Acts. And I wasn't really too excited about that. To be honest, I, that was, I don't know if it was the last thing I wanted to do, but it was definitely not the first thing. I I really, and to understand, I had been going through a, a stretch where I was just worn. In fact, last October I needed a good vacation. I'm still waiting for it. But I am energized. I am a new man. I am so excited. God has been just doing incredible things in me, and it it just reminded me, I knew it up here, but I now know it again in my heart, that when, when we really give our lives over to the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on. I mean, my perspective has just so changed that I don't even feel like I need a vacation anymore. And all because of Acts. Two, three, three weeks ago, we're in staff meeting and Brian says, Brian Johnson, um, you know Brian, Brian says, do you have any idea yet what we're going to be, where we're going to be in Acts when we, or what you're going to talk on when we get to Palm Sunday? By the way, today is Palm Sunday. And what, what about Easter? Well, I, on Palm Sunday, you always want to do something. I always do. I always preach on something that has to do with Jesus and, and focuses on the week of passion. That's Palm Sunday is entering Jerusalem, entering Jerusalem that last week of his life leading up to the cross. So you want to do something like that. And then Easter, I, I want to talk about Jesus risen from the grave, exalted so i 'm thinking, well, what if there's nothing in Acts? I did not want to leave Acts for two weeks, but then again, I want us to talk about the passion of Jesus, his death, and then I want to talk about the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So I look in Acts and i 'm behind i 'm usually months ahead, but i' just i 'm just trying to keep my head above water here, so give me a break and <laughs> I didn't even know what I was gonna be on, so I go and I look at it and it's, it's the Ethiopian eunuch. What was the Ethiopian eunuch reading? He was reading about the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53. What is Isaiah 53? It's one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. It's called the Gospel of the Old Testament, Isaiah 40 through 66, four servant songs in which God through the servant is gonna fulfill his great work of redemption for his people. And not just his people, but the whole world. And this is the climax right here. He's gonna suffer unjustly. He's gonna bear the sins of the people. And I'm going, unbelievable. Well, what's next week? The conversion of Paul, he meets the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. I didn't even have any of this scheduled. I'm thinking, this is a divine appointment, folks. But you see, I can only see it, so to speak, once I get there. See how meaningful it is. I mean, we're just, you know, Jesus' people are just, on ground level, we're incrementally Paying attention to the Lord. Increment we we can't even dramatize it or say, oh yes, I'm I paying. I mean, I think I'm listening to the Lord. I'm trying to heed his voice. I'm 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 attentive to his presence. I'm incrementally almost tick by tick by tick of the clock moving with God and sometimes not fathoming the meaning of it all. But then If you look at this from the standpoint of Philip, he, like us, is incrementally, verse 26, verse 27, bit by bit, being alert, attentive to the Lord. And the Lord leads him to a divine appointment that he didn't even have on his calendar. It was not a red-letter day when Philip got up that morning. But God has a red-letter day for Philip and for the Ethiopian eunuch and for all of us when we're attentive and alert to his leading, his prompting. And that's what we see here in Ephesians. And sometimes we can see it in our lives in bold and powerful ways that God is meaningfully moving in our lives. Jesus' people keep God's divine appointments. Jesus' people keep God's divine appointments. From above, or so to speak, from the end of the appointment, we can see, even as we can see from above and at the end of Acts 8, we see so clearly how God has moved and orchestrated to touch the life of an Ethiopian eunuch. And why will become important and clear today. But at ground level, we don't always see that. At ground level, we have to be alert to the leading of God. Be alert to the leading of God. And we see that in verse 26 with Philip. The angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, said, Stand up and travel south or at midday. Now, this is important to me. Uh, In all of the translations, all the reputable translations, it says south. If you look at your Bible right now, chapter 8, verse 26, it says south. But every commentator, any scholar will tell you that the word in your English that says south, in Greek you would translate midday. Now that sometimes has a directional translation because when the sun is uh, it's due, pointing due south when it's at midday. And so it has a directional element. And uh, most of the translations carry that notion into our English translation. But the word in the Greek language means midday. That means noonish, when the sun is high, and it's very hot. It's the hottest part of the day. And I think we have to appreciate that. Philip is being asked by the Lord to get up and travel at that time of day when sound, sensible people, if they can avoid it, do not travel. And we're also told, in some translations, as an afterthought, and it is emphatic this is a desert road so we need to understand that god is telling philip if i put it quite bluntly he's telling philip to do something that we in our rational inner conversation would argue with but he senses that this is the lord Now, it says an angel of the Lord, and that may mean an actual appearance, but the emphasis is on the message. In fact, it says, he spoke and said. You know, I I wish I could figure out all of this and know just definitively. I do know that Cornelius has a vision and hears the Lord speaking in a vision. But here, we're just told an angel, angel in Greek means messenger, in other words, a messenger of the Lord has delivered a message, get up, travel at midday, take the desert road toward Gaza, which by the way means treasure. Just keep that in mind. So he gets up. Verse 27 becomes very, very important. It says, he got up and he went, period. Next sentence, and behold. Now, you, got, you are you following this? Get up, middle of the day, day when wise people, smart people, sensible people don't travel. Get out there on the road. He does. He gets up and he goes, period. And behold. Or you could translate it this way. Um, you could translate it as... Um, And get this, some of you are older, but you could translate it like this, uh, as Gomer Pyle did, surprise, surprise. (laughs) And then what do we read? A man, see, and get this, there's a man, a man, one, two, an Ethiopian. The Ethiopians epitomized blackness in the ancient world. They were synonymous with blackness. So there was an Ethiopian. Ethiopians, by the way, and this is from uh, Homer's Odyssey, the very opening of Homer's Odyssey, and I just want to quote you there. The Ethiopians, worlds away, farthest limits of mankind. The Ethiopians, Ethiopia, equivalent to the modern Sudan, was the literal ends of the earth. What does it say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? It says, you will be my witnesses, Jesus said just before ascending to the Father. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost end of the world. This Ethiopian represents that. He's a Gentile. He's a foreigner. He's Ethiopian. And he's also a eunuch. He's a court official of the Ethiopian candake or candace. In other words, a line of Ethiopian queens like Egyptian pharaohs. And this guy is the what? The treasurer. In fact, in Greek, it really jumps out at you because Gaza is translated phonetically, Gaza. But the word treasure is Gaza. Phonetically, Gaza. Get on that desert road and go toward Gaza. This is a little different kind of Gaza. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. In other words, if you go to Jerusalem, you go to worship the one true God. And the angel of the Lord then speaks to Philip saying, he says, excuse me, not the angel of the Lord, but the Holy Spirit says to Philip uh, in verse 30, he says, I want you to catch up or approach and attach yourself or stay on that chariot. And here, I think we see something beautiful. Not only has Philip obeyed, he's been alert to the leading of of the Lord, but he's available. You would not customarily approach a dignitary, an entourage, on your own like this. I mean, if you were invited, you would. But... For him to approach, he's he really he's prompted by the Holy Spirit, and he steps outside his comfort zone. He does something risky. He does something that feels very foreign and awkward, and he approaches the the eunuch, and he runs up to him. Now, the eunuch would be traveling probably in an oxen-drawn cart, so moving just a little faster than a than a a, a walk. So Philip can can catch him. But this guy uh, and his entourage, he's rolling along here, and he's reading a scroll of Isaiah, and Philip comes running up. And I think this is really kind of humorous if you visualize this. This guy comes running up. He's sweating. Um, He's not dressed for the occasion. And he says, uh, and he hears him reading Isaiah 53. Seven and eight. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and he says, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And there's a play on words there because the word read is built on the word understand. Do you do you understand what you're reading? And he says, uh, "How can I?" And this is going on. You know the 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 rumbling of these uh, wooden wheels uh, over the dust and the rock, and all. And they're they're hollering, and Philip's jogging alongside as they're moving. And he says, uh, "How can I unless I have someone to interpret?" Which makes a lot of sense to us because in Luke chapter twenty. In that interim 40 period, day period where Jesus kept appearing to his disciples before his ascension, in, in 24 uh, verses 25 through 29 and 44 through 49, especially in 44, he says, I'm the key. I'm the key that unlocks understanding of the Old Testament. Moses, the prophets, they're all talking about me. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. And it says that the understanding followed. Jesus is the key. It's like he's the hermeneutical key, as some say, to help us interpret. That's what hermeneutical means interpret God's word. How can this eunuch understand the Old Testament. Even his own disciples understand it now in ways it could never be fully appreciated because these things are being fulfilled even now at this time in Jesus' death, resurrection, exaltation and what is happening with his own disciples in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Why was this Why was this Ethiopian on his way back? I think Isaiah, the gospel of the Old Testament, if you will, had led him there. I think it spoke to his heart. I think he wanted to become a proselyte. He wanted to become a full-fledged Jew. He was a a Gentile, obviously, but he wanted to be a full-fledged follower of Judaism. He wanted to attach himself to the covenant God and be a part of his people. And so he traveled to Jerusalem. This is a very uh, distinguished, prestigious man. He has risen to the heights kind of like when Joseph rose under Pharaoh to be his right hand man. So this eunuch And he has a lot at his disposal, and he's obviously able to utilize that in pursuing something that's important to him personally. But what I want you to understand in verse 32 and verse 33 as we look at Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, let me just put this in perspective for you real quick if I can. In Isaiah chapter 40, something new breaks open. God speaks through his prophet to his people who are in exile, and he says, I paid double for all your sins. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to do a new work, a great work. It's going to be greater than anything I've ever done before. This is all new. You don't even know the definition of new until you understand what I'm going to do. And in the following chapters, to the end of the prophet Isaiah, in chapters. 40, 41, 42, and following, God speaks to his people. His people are called the servant of the Lord in many cases, but in chapter 42, in chapter 49, in chapter 50, and in chapter 52, verse verse 12, all the way through, 11, all the way through chapter 53, verse 12, we have these These singular descriptions, not of a nation, but of an individual, so individualistic, and so significant in in the fulfillment of what God is going to do for his people, this great redemption for his people and and the people of the whole world, that we see in these episodes 42, 49, 50, 52, 13 through 53, 12, we see that the servant of the Lord is a distinct figure that is gonna fulfill what God has planned, and that is where the eunuch is reading. And in 54, God brings a new covenant, 55, new creation, and 56, he addresses the rest of the world. He addresses the foreigners. And I think that he has seen himself in this. I think he identifies here in verses 32 and 33 with the servant who, like a sheep, is led to slaughter as a lamb before its shearer is silent, who did not open his mouth." In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. There was no recourse, no advocate, no justice. And what's the tragedy? Who can speak of his descendants? There's no one to write his genealogy because there are no descendants. There are no children. There are no boys. There are no girls who care. He dies alone. And in effect, his life is ended in in the most final sense. I think he identifies with that because he's a eunuch. I read this week, and we read, in ancient writings, to get a feel for what it is like, what, what do people that we want to learn about what it was like for a eunuch then, if we can, and uh, Lucian of Samosata wrote a he wrote many writings but one in particular is called the eunuch. And I read that this week. I just want to give you one excerpt from the eunuch. And what it does, these words reflect the general opinion of people. In other words, what would people think of a eunuch? What would it be like for a eunuch? Here, you get a taste. This this was written in 179, just a few years after Acts. Such people eunuchs, ought to be excluded from all participation in sacred things and from all public assemblies and associations, observing that a eunuch was neither man nor woman, but something composite, hybrid, and monstrous, alien to human life. Because eunuchs, often as children, a defeated or conquered people were a slave people, And when they're young, they're castrated. And they're hormonally very different. Smooth skin, no hair. Very feminine features. I think this eunuch read and identified with the servant. And as he read on, he got to chapter 56 and this is what he read in chapter 56 of isaiah i'm going to read this is from the first eight verses listen very carefully think of what you're hearing as the eunuch because the eunuch is not only a foreigner he is a eunuch and both the foreigner and the eunuch are directly addressed in isaiah 56 thus says the lord preserve justice do righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. I think the eunuch read that And he left for Jerusalem. A man who professionally rose as high as he could possibly rise. He had people that worked for him that said yes sir and no sir to him. But when he went home to his highly fashioned apartment, it was empty. There was no future for his life. He had no family, he had his work, but nothing more, and he read here that whereas he was cut off, literally, he would have a name better, for it would be eternal and more lasting than sons and daughters, which he would never have or know. And he went to Jerusalem to join himself to the God of this covenant, to the God who cares about foreigners, to the God who cares about eunuchs when nobody else does. And when he got to Jerusalem, this freak this hybrid, this monster. He could get no further than the gate called beautiful and the court of Gentiles. Because he was... He was cut off. He was mutilated. And Deuteronomy 23.1 specifically says, the mutilated cannot be joined to the people of the covenant Lord. And he was on his way home, and I think he was disenchanted. I think he was reading verse 7 and 8 again because it's there that the servant himself, the very agent of what God is going to do, is like him in so many ways cut off, not shown justice. He will have no posterity. But then Philip says... Starting right here, let me tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. And at verse 9 and verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12 of Isaiah 53, he tells about the reversal of fortune, the shocking reversal of fortune for the servant. Read it. Because he who was supposed to be buried with the unjust is buried among the rich he who was to be cut off is shown favor he who bore the sins of the people that caused him to suffer such unjustness with the servant are going to be exalted their sins forgiven his name and his posterity worldwide that's what goes on in the next few verses, and Philip brings to the Ethiopian the news, this has been fulfilled. This has been fulfilled. This has been fulfilled. This is a divine appointment of God to this Ethiopian man. And it takes place, and that man goes home not disenchanted, but rejoicing. He comes upon water and he says, Is there any reason I can't be baptized right now? And Philip baptizes him, and he continues rejoicing because now he is a man with a family. He is a man with a name eternal. He belongs, and he is loved, accepted by the covenant God of all creation. In just such a personal way, Jesus says to us when He offers us this bread and this cup, He says, this is My body which is for you. That wouldn't amount to much if there wasn't a verse 9, 10, 11, and 12 to the servant song. Because there is a new covenant And both come in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin and the new covenant. That's what we observe again today. As fresh, as pertinent, as important as ever. Because we have a way of picking up our sins and not the cross. We need to let them go. That's why He suffered such humiliation that we might have an everlasting name. That we might know joy, and that is the new covenant. You pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. We can identify. We identify with uh, what He suffered, His rejection, the injustice. We can even in small measure, experience that even in this uh, country of countries, which we have the the great grace to have been born in. But Father, even in the little that we understand, we realize how detrimental it can be. We want to be made over, made anew. And so we let go of our sin, knowing that it was so well eradicated in the matchless and priceless gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Such grace we cannot fathom. But we thank You that we live with You and know You as our Father in a new covenant. And it is in the remembrance of this that we take the bread and the cup this morning. Most heartfelt. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.